I'm Kay Firth Butterfield at the World Economic Forum. And I'm Miriam Vogel with Equal AI. And this is In AI We Trust. Hello, Miriam. Hello. How are you doing this week? And what have you been doing? Okay, it's good to see you, and it's good to be back on In AI We Trust. Uh, It has been a good and busy time. As I know you can relate, it's exciting how much attention there is to AI right now and the need to make sure that it is responsible and safe and trustworthy. So I love that there's this renewed interest and this opportunity to speak with so many new audiences. Coming up, I'm excited to speak with the Council of Institutional Investors. I think it's so important that those with a fiduciary role and those who can influence those with a fiduciary role understand the implications of AI and the levers they have and the basic questions they can ask to ensure that our AI is better, that their brands are safer, the companies they're working with have less litigation risk, and that people can really benefit from AI. I'm also really excited to talk at the iCivics conference and talking about digital democracy, how AI can and should fit in our democracy and the steps we need to make sure that it is a value add as opposed to a problem to ensuring democracy. So some great conversations coming up. I'm looking forward to. How about you? Where in the world do we find you? Well, I am currently in Geneva, so I'm visiting the part of my team that works out of Geneva, which, of course, is the headquarters of the World Economic Forum. And last week, I was in London attending a Ditchley conference, which was really interesting as well as beautiful. But, you know, just picking up what you were saying earlier about institutional investors, you'll probably remember that we had a whole um, session at Davos on responsible investing in responsible AI. And, you know, I I hope when you talk to them, you'll encourage them to come and join our work on this topic specifically, that, that you should only be investing in responsible AI. Absolutely. It's a great lever they have. They are a key player in ensuring that, again, not only are they reducing their risk, but they are creating better responsible AI for all of us to benefit from. And and yes, it's one of my dreams that if we could get the VC community only to invest in responsible AI, and then we could get the investors to do the same, we would be out of a job because we would have created a pincer movement on all AI companies. Absolutely. That's the goal. Putting ourselves out of business. Throw in a few lawyers to make sure they're implementing frameworks and know how to advise their clients properly. Some boards asking the right questions. And yes, I think we have some of the key ingredients to ensure that we'll no longer need to do our current line of work. (laughs) Well, yeah, we can just go back to being those lawyers. (laughs) So turning to today, we have a great guest today from Hewlett Packard Enterprise, Justin Hotard. And Justin and I have known one another for quite a while, and I'm really impressed by some of the work they've been doing on responsible AI. I'm really you know, thinking about supercomputing as well. So let's go to Justin and find out what he's got to say to us today. Welcome to this week's episode of In AI We Trust. We're pleased today to be joined by Justin Hotard, the head of Hewlett Packard Enterprise High Performance Computing and Artificial Intelligence Business Group. 
Before taking on this role, Justin led pan-HPE transformation efforts to accelerate the company's as-a-service pivot. Justin has also served as the President and Managing Director of HPE Japan. In that role, he oversaw HPE's activity in the region to drive growth across the full portfolio of hardware, software, and services. Justin previously led the Compute Global Business Unit, overseeing the product portfolio and R&D for HPE's industry standards server portfolio, as well as the go-to-market strategy for the OEM service provider and telecommunications segments. Prior to joining HPE, Justin was president of NCR Small Business and held corporate development and operating positions at Symbol Technologies and Motorola Inc. So Justin, welcome to the show. We'd like to start by asking how our guest landed into this exciting but relatively nascent space of responsible AI. How did you become interested in the area? And how does your current role support this interest? Well, first of all, Kay, thank you for having me. It's great to great to be on the podcast with you and Miriam today. And yeah, let me maybe start a little bit about my personal interest. So I, I've been in technology my whole career. I started with an engineering degree uh, in undergraduate. And I've always been interested in this intersection of technology and human behavior, because I've always thought that really interesting technologies are those that change human behavior. And so... Uh, when I first left college, actually, I was working on digital cellular networks, and they were they were transformational in human behavior, as we all know, because we all have a mobile phone. And I was actually at the, the forefront of deploying mobile web services on those systems. And I, I think what's so compelling about AI is much like web and mobile and, and, and certainly cloud, AI is a seismic shift in our industry. And it'll touch, I think, every industry Every, every technology that we see today. And so as I, as I look at AI, I'm excited to help us, HPE, who's an industry leader in high-performance computing, supercomputing, and some of the early applications and use cases in AI, help play a role to not only drive AI market adoption, but to do so in a responsible manner and advance that. Because I, I fundamentally believe that reliable commercial adoption and responsible AI go hand in hand. Well, you are singing to our ears here. We uh, we very much support that notion. We would not refute that in the least, and we're so glad to hear that's your perspective. So we've been reading some of the articles you've been publishing. We noticed that recently you co-authored with WEF an article, What Are Supercomputers and Why Are They Important? An Expert Explains, where you served as the expert. And you provided insight into these kinds of computers. Can you share with our listeners a little background on what a supercomputer is and why will it be so important to human development? Absolutely. So first of all, if you think about a supercomputer, it's very, very different than what you what you would think about in your normal computer. So let's take your laptop, for example. If you're like me, you probably have five or six applications open and all running in parallel. And what the computer is doing is actually dividing all the resources across those applications. Uh, this is actually, for those of you that may know how the cloud works, this is actually how the cloud works in principle. We call it virtualization in the, uh, in the world of cloud, but we subdivide all the resources. 
in a supercomputer, it's actually completely the orthogonal. We actually run everything in parallel. And we do that, we run one application at scale in parallel. And the reason this is really important is that to run large complex models or simulations, one computer, one server isn't enough. We actually need lots of them all stitched together. And it requires a bunch of technology that's very different. It requires technology that allows them to all run uh, in parallel and uh, have very low latency. So it's part of how we interconnect or connect all these, um, these systems together. And it also requires software that makes it easy for programmers, developers, to write software that can, that can actually allow the application to run across all these computers at once. And some great applications today of supercomputers, if you think about, you might say, okay, that's interesting, but tell me what it's doing. Well, one, it's, it's running your weather forecast. If you're, uh, if you're using uh, the uh, US weather forecast, for example, it's running your weather, your, your near-term climate prediction models. So it's running the weather forecast. We've, um, uh, we've also had uh, significant advancements in, in COVID-19. We did a lot of the modeling around the spread of COVID-19. If you think about some of the regulations we all dealt with around you know, two meters or six, six feet of distance and social distancing and the, and, and the evolution of the time we asked people to stay uh, isolated when they, when they contracted COVID-19. A lot of that modeling was done using real data and supercomputers to figure out what to be done. And then finally, what I would say is there's a lot of commercial applications. One you may, we, some of us may remember seeing lots of videos a couple, maybe a couple of decades ago, I'm showing my age a little bit, but a couple of decades ago on crash test dummies, seeing crash simulations with cars. Well, a lot of that now is simulated on supercomputers. That's actually valuable because it speeds time to market. It's touching efficiency for companies, but we're also using supercomputers to model new breakthroughs. So things like renewables, wind farms are being optimized using supercomputers. And so there's really a lot of applications where supercomputers touch our lives. And, and the bridge here is that we're starting to see AI models, large AI models, start to leverage these supercomputing technologies to run big models. Yes, and in fact, Justin, one of the things that we are thinking of doing together is um, supercomputing and forecasting where wildfires are going to start. And in fact, that's just so important because if we can stop the wildfires from actually happening, we can save enormous amounts of carbon. And I always think that using AI for good is part of the mantra of using AI responsibly. So continuing in the supercomputing mode, in a blog last year entitled Fueling AI for Good with Supercomputing, you emphasized the need for testing AI to ensure AI is inclusive, responsible, and robust. That means minimizing harmful bias, implementing mechanisms to ensure accountability, and ensuring safeguards are implemented that minimize risk of misuse. In this article, you introduced Champillion, a supercomputer HPE is building in France, being in collaboration with NVIDIA. In September, HPE announced it will build the next generation supercomputer, Shaheen 3, at the King Abdullah University of Science and Technology. And in October, HPE announced it was helping Mohammed bin Zayed's University of Artificial Intelligence advance the UAE's national strategy for AI. 
can you tell us more about these various supercomputers? And what are they going to advance in responsible AI innovation? And how do they relate to something you mentioned earlier, those large language models such as ChatGPT? Yeah, I, I think, first of all, you know, ChatGPT is really exciting. And it reminds me a bit of my time when I was a student at the University of Illinois using Mosaic at the start of the web, right? It gave us a, a view of the potential of what can be done. Uh, and it's a great example as well, because training a model the size of ChatGPT actually requires a supercomputer. If I think about you know, some of the, the examples you, uh, you highlighted, uh, this was actually where we saw the market going a couple of years ago, we acquired Determined AI because we saw research shifting from, from traditionally using modeling and simulation technologies and HPC, high-performance computing, to using AI as a key driver. And some of the examples you highlighted, perhaps Shaheen 3 is a great example, is are places where research institutions are saying, you know what, we want to start AI native and we want to be doing research using AI models first. What's really powerful about that is it helps us solve problems that we couldn't solve in traditional HPC methodologies. And so a great example of that is in healthcare. And I think it's it's also a great, a great example to talk about in the construct of responsible AI. Because if you think about a healthcare example, let's say early tumor detection, this is a place where we can use AI. We've got lots of image data. So image processing is a is actually, you know, well, well, early still in the world of AI, fairly mature in, the, in terms of the technology. And, um, and what we need, though, is actually robust data, robust data sources. And so as we think about the healthcare example, uh, or this example in particular, having a robust model means lots of data. I mean, if you think about it, you need images of people that don't have tumors. You need people that clearly have tumors identified. You need people that are on edge cases, maybe where there was an error, where it was assumed they had something they didn't or, they, or it wasn't detected properly and then it was detected later. Um, and you need that across a broad population, gender, ethnicity, age. Uh, I mean, there's so many variables here to consider. So this requires robust data. Well, that to get that, that robust data set in image and then process to build a robust model, I need a, I need a large platform. I need a supercomputer. And so this is really the foundation to why we see this shift in supercomputing. And we're seeing it early in scientific research because we're seeing the opportunity to break through in new areas using AI that maybe we couldn't do in the past. The other thing I would just say is, is um, this is also why software tools are so important because as we talked about, you know, I mentioned previously about supercomputers generally, we also need software tools that make it easy for our customers and our users to build and develop models. They can't be experts on how to code at a deep level. Now, Many startups, and I'll use the ChatGPT example, there's many startups probably in the ecosystem today building completely vertically integrated stacks, but there's no reason for that. And actually that introduces variability in terms of robustness. And part of the reason we're so committed to building a robust tool stack is that we believe that robust and consistent tool stack will help accelerate responsible AI. Well, thank you for walking us through that. And along the lines of your efforts to really take the broad view of ways to ensure responsible AI, we note that you have launched a global center of excellence on AI and data in Spain, in addition to other global centers of excellence. Can you tell us 
a little bit more about what the end goal is of these AI centers, how you've chosen their locations and what we can expect to see coming from them? Yeah, absolutely. And first, let me just touch a little bit on, on why we have global centers of excellence. First of all, you know, Packard Enterprise, we're a global company. We invested in, in research and development collaboratively, actually, with many centers all over the world. And so we use centers of excellence in, in some cases to, to invest collaboratively. And, and the reason for that is that it allows us to leverage all the knowledge and, and local expertise that exists in a given market. It's, it's actually incredibly powerful. It influences how we enhance our products and, and deliver better services to our customers. Um, I think a key point on, um, on the opportunity in Spain is actually around the EU. So this is a place where we've had uh, centers of research collaboratively for, for many years, and we understand the importance and value the importance of the EU. In fact, today, we actually run the, uh, the, the fastest supercomputer in Europe uh, in the form of uh, a system called Lumi that's, uh, that's based in Finland through a consortium of nations that are based across Europe. And so that's a that's a very important partnership for us. And we see ongoing opportunities for innovation. I think the EU's commitment to innovation in supercomputing and, and, and potentially down the road in quantum uh, is, uh, is really exciting. And so our goal for investing in Spain was we saw a great opportunity to leverage the expertise and some of the talent, particularly the early career talent in Spain, to build a uh, and fuel an AI workforce that can really create competency and expertise around AI and data-first modernization. Um, and what we see this team doing is, is really working with our, uh, with our customers and some of our partners and, and governments to help apply AI and, and advanced analytics to, to understand how they can use that to accelerate new insights or make better decisions and do so in an ethically and secure manner. And so we're, you know, we're excited about the potential of this, uh, of this COE. Um, and I think just as importantly, it's an investment in Spain and, and in some of the talent there, which we think will probably help yield longer term benefits in terms of just the, the innovation coming out of that area, particularly around responsible AI. Super. Thank you very much, Justin. And we've been talking a lot about supercomputers and how they'll expand our AI capabilities. But the supercomputers are only one part of the equation. Can you help us with what role software plays in supporting our advances in AI capabilities? And what are some of those issues around trustworthy AI? And obviously, we've been talking about large language models, and we've heard about the hallucinogenic properties of some of those. Yeah, and I, and I touched on this briefly earlier, but we really see two elements. One is you need a system capable of running a large model to support all of the, the robust data set that you need to run the model. And then you need tools to make it easier and consistent. And when we think about tools, you know, we think about three key areas. One is data sourcing, the second is model development, and the third is, is model deployment and monitoring. And so uh, as we look at this, and we can use, we, we'll use generative LLMs as a great example, right? There's a few things we need. One is we need reproducibility of the model. Uh, that's that's really, really important for us. We acquired a company uh, just recently called Pachyderm that was actually a great partner of ours that was enabling a lot of that data robustness and reproducibility. It's it's a concept that's existed for, for some time in scientific research. Very, very important in AI because if you don't get the same answer for the model, you, you may get hallucinations as you touched on, or you may actually just simply get inconsistent or, or contentious answers, which can be a problem even in what we call the discriminative AI, uh, which is the converse of generative AI. So the other key thing is we need auditability. And I'd say if I was one prediction I would make is I believe 
we're going to see auditability as a as a key point for AI models and responsible AI models. And, and this really gets to the point on, you know, understanding not just what the model has uh, has delivered and the answer, and this is where explainability becomes so important, but being able to track it, exceptions and contentions and understand that is going to be really important. And, and this is a case where, and I touched on this a little bit in my intro, where I actually believe responsible AI and commercially viable AI are, are, are very aligned because businesses, you know, even if there's no regulation requirement, businesses need to know that they can audit their models and that they're getting the right answers because there's obviously massive adverse impacts if they don't have a responsible model that's delivering the right answer. It could be to their user experience, it could be to their financials, but these are all considerations. And so, so we see those as, as key areas. The other principle I would touch on in software is we think that software needs to be open source based. It's really important to have the opportunity for a common framework and for people to be able to also use these tools wherever they need to use them to accelerate their development. So there's a, a tool that can be used on a desktop called a Jupyter Notebook. You can, or the concept of that you could use on a, a like at a desktop environment called a Jupyter Notebook, all the way up to running on a supercomputer. And that scaling is really important because you want to make sure that model developers are using the same tools to train and, and operate their models. And so we see um, we see software tools as really essential. A lot of the way we've gotten to today is, is people building their own proprietary stacks. And, uh, and while that's important, it probably doesn't enable the consistency or the visibility that we need for broad commercial adoption. That's super interesting. I, I love how you've taken on these interesting, important points and woven them together and connected them back to responsible AI. And it sounds like what you're saying with open sourcing is, is you're making sure that when you're talking about fairness and accessibility, you're also democratizing access and creating models with root sources. So there's kind of an inevitable standardization by making sure that people use the same set of tools to start off with and build with, which is a really interesting way to think about what responsible AI looks like. In addition to the reproducibility you've mentioned, uh, explainability, uh, another key factor. So would love for you to share with us more about how you're doing this. What is an auditable AI? What should you be auditing for? Why do you choose certain elements? And the key point I would love for you to bring home for anyone who has a question in their mind is, why is this important from a business standpoint? Sometimes people misunderstand and think that looking at responsible AI is impeding efficiency and progress. Obviously, you know where Kay and I stand on this, but for anyone who has that question, can you answer, no, why is responsible AI an important business development? Why is it important for a business to function and thrive? Yeah, absolutely, Miriam. I think that I think the key thing here is that you know there's been a ton of research done in the past around well, first of all, there's been a ton of research around human bias and and noise and, and you know the effectiveness of making decisions. And there's a perspective that in some cases machines can make a better decision. Of course, uh, a machine can process a much larger amount of data than a, than a human can. But the other thing we we do as a result, which I think is is important, it's necessary, is we hold machines to a higher standard than we do humans, right? So. So that's that's obviously uh, I think a necessity. It's the right it's the right principle. But understanding that, I think we also have to recognize that for this to replace or supplant something, it has to work reliably. And I'll, I'll give you maybe an example. If you think about an insurance, you know, an underwriting model today, there's models and structures for how that underwriting decisions arrive to. There's a human factor. In theory, you could replace a lot of that with AI. 
But if an insurance company doesn't understand how the answers were gotten and can't validate that they're making the right decisions or consistent decisions with how they would have made it previously, or understand why there's deviation, maybe it is a better answer, they're going to put the entire company at financial risk, let alone potentially not deliver the right service to their customer. And so I think about it from that perspective, and when I take that lens, it's fundamentally necessary that AI is responsible and trustworthy because no one is going to no one is going to invest in making that shift to a new to a new model. And and there's you know, there's corollaries obviously in autonomous driving. Um, there's corollaries in in some of the things that we're seeing with long range climate prediction. However, they all come back to one fundamental truth, which is I have to understand what the what the model is telling me, or I won't be able to get to the right answer. Yeah, thank you, Justin. And I think it also comes back to a fundamental, which is your clients, your your customers have to trust and believe in these AI alternatives. And so, you know, one of the things that I get having been a, been a judge in a former life is, oh, we can make AI judges and they'll be much better than you. And I'm still waiting to see that. <laughs> At least I could explain my decisions. I think that one's probably a little ways off today. That's my guess. <laughs> so coming back to last April, you announced what is called HP's Swarm Learning. The announcement of this new solution stated that it will deliver AI for greater good by fostering collaboration across organizations worldwide. Swarm Learning sounds, sounds spooky. What is it? And how is it developed? How does it work? And what are its intended benefits for trustworthy and unbiased AI? The swarm learning is um, is actually uh, it's it's a, it's I think it's a, it's a it's a cool name for a pretty straightforward concept. What it what it allows uh, AI researchers and, and data scientists to do is validate their model learnings without sharing data. And it's, the, it's a concept of distributed learning. This actually started as a project with DZNE, a German research entity that was focused on Alzheimer's uh, as, a, as an opportunity for AI and, and looking at how, you know, at how to detect and uh, identify early onset of Alzheimer's. And effectively what they looked at was they didn't have a robust data set to be able to train and build a model. And so they started to look at how could they leverage others. And, you know, healthcare is an obvious application because beyond all the personal privacy issues that exist, you know, that we, we have to consider and manage responsibly in the context of, of any set of data analytics, healthcare has another bar, and then you have individual countries and, and in some cases, regional regulations. And so they pursued this as a manner to, uh, to accelerate model training and development and get a more robust model. And that led us to realizing there was a much broader product application here. And so there's one with Ashen uh, University where they were doing uh, cancer research and they were uh, using it to advance the diagnosis of colon cancer. We have other examples where researchers in the UK were using models from various countries, including Ireland and the US, to accelerate or validate their model. Um, and we think there's other examples where you know, potentially entities would be prevented from sharing proprietary data because of their own rights and then also because of competitive interests. But there could be a, 
collaborative value. You think about things like fraud detection um, in uh, in financial transactions as an example, right? Where fundamentally preventing a you know a, a legal you know a legal event is really valuable, um, but finding a way to do this in a manner that doesn't compromise competitive information or uh, or obviously personally identifiable information is really important. And so we think that this is a really important concept. And the other thing I would just touch on, I think it's because it. I didn't touch on this earlier, but it's why we think AI is so interesting is it highlights the shift in, in the value. It's moving away from software code to actually the model and the data. And this is a great way where people are getting accelerated value out of a model to help drive a better answer without necessarily owning the data. And I think it's, it's, a, it's a good indication of some of the things we can do when we think about the principle of responsibility and delivering the right holistic outcome. That is super interesting. And thank you for illustrating yet another way that we need to think about how we approach responsible AI. And now we want to take it to yet another domain. Who has access? Are we creating a greater digital divide or can AI help us bridge the gap and create more opportunity? I mean, when we're thinking about diversity and inclusivity in AI, there's so many different ways to take it. You can take it as to who has access to supercompute, who has access to data, good data, more data. Uh, but then there's the basics, who has access to Wi-Fi, computers, and so forth. So what are you doing to help bridge the gap? How do you think that we can use this as an opportunity to create opportunity instead of widening the gulf? Yeah, I, I think there's a great, you know, a great example here, right? I think if you if you go back and think about the digital divide in the web uh, and the internet, right? We had a huge, we, we still do actually, it still exists. But one of the ways that has been bridged has been through mobile technology. And so an example of, in India, I think the vast majority of mobile, of internet access is via mobile only um, is one example. And, there, and there's projections of that to scale to, you know, reach the entire population over the next 15 or 20 years. And I think that's a great example of where these technology leaps, these transformational shifts in technology can actually enable access. And I think AI is another one of those great examples. And I'll, you know, I'll use some, Kay brought it up earlier, the wildfire opportunity. This is a great example where countries that probably don't have the resources to enable early detection or prevention of, of wildfires, they may not have the, the knowledge or the know-how, a new collaboration around and then truly a new collaboration around a global public and private partnership have the opportunity to get the benefit of the analysis and the models to, to such that they could deploy something that would help and you know help their citizens and prevent them. And what I think is so interesting about AI, and, and I, this example is a, is a perfect one for it, is the individual citizen, their, their life is actually, they're not touched, right? We're not actually asking them to do anything. But by enabling AI and enabling a, a new way of, of, of collaborating, Essentially, their their lives, their house, their assets, their livestock, whatever it is, is completely protected and saved. And, and I think that's a great example of you know, it'd be completely transparent to them. But here, here, there's a better experience. And you can imagine there a lot of these applications we talked about in healthcare could probably provide the same kind of benefit, where you know, a simple image scan could help prevent you know someone from getting cancer who might not have ever had that scan you know, happen before. In the past, we not even known they had cancer, right? They just they just were ill and. And, and pass. So I think I think we can really enable a much better uh, life. And I think that's where public and private partnership is so important in this space. And we've seen this benefit in, in, in HPC and supercomputing to go back to a little bit of our roots. And I see this opportunity in AI. And that's 
part of why, you know, when we think about where we contribute our researchers and what we try to get involved in, it's in so many of these areas, because I think it is fundamentally about AI for good. And, uh, and, I, and I fundamentally believe that there's, there's a number of these things that we'll look back on in 10, 20 years and realize that without AI, the world would not be uh, as healthy or as, as well off as it, as it, uh, as it becomes. Thank you, Justin. That's certainly something that we all hope. And I, I agree with you that let's hope that AI does achieve that goal. Sadly, we come to the last question of the show. It's gone so quickly. We always ask our guests one final question, and that's the magic wand question. So if you had a magic wand that could be used to achieve one thing in responsible AI, what would you wish be? That's a that's a very good question. I'm, I'm trying to think. I only have one, so let me let me contemplate that for a second. I think the one that I you know I continue to to look at, and it's kind of again goes back to some of the themes we've been talking about today. It's really this access to data and how can we innovate around providing access to data, whether that's a you know obviously there's there's restrictions we're going to comply with around data itself, but. Potentially, it's the models and, and, and new new forms of collaboration around accelerating model development. Because I think that you know the, the fundamental thing we know is that the more access we have to data, the more breadth and the richness that we have of core data, the more we can actually get uh, better models and better outcomes and deliver the kinds of insights and breakthroughs that we're all hoping for. And again, all of this has to be done responsibly. And I don't know if I have an answer for how to do it, but I think it's a really interesting opportunity. And if, and if I could look ahead and say, gosh, you know, there's going to be there's going to be ways for people to immediately eliminate bias in their models. You know, whether it's a, it's a large language model, whether it's, uh, you know, for computer vision applications or whether it's for some of the things that we've talked about in healthcare. I think that would be the, the most powerful thing because I, you know, I, I go back to where kind of where we started. I, I don't fundamentally believe that AI will we'll see great market traction where there's not a robust model. And so I think that the faster we get data, the faster we get robust models, the more robust the model, the better impact we have. And uh, and so for me, that's, you know, that's kind of the compelling vision. And I think, you know, things like swarm learning that we've invested in, that's why we're doing that because we're trying to contribute and enable to the innovation, to the ecosystem. And ultimately, you know, back to where I started, use technology to make the world a better place. And, uh, and that's, you know, for me, that's what this, uh, that's what ultimately is exciting about this, this space today is that I think there's a ton we can do, but, but there's some big hurdles we have to work through too. So I'm excited about what we can do. If we can continue to improve how we collaborate and accelerate model development responsibly, there's a lot of great outcomes that will happen for the world. Agreed. Well, thank you, Justin, for sharing the work that you're doing and your aspirations to achieve responsible AI. It's been really wonderful to talk with you today. Thank and thanks you. to both of you. Well, that was wonderful. I really enjoyed hearing Justin talk about all these things that we don't necessarily hear on this podcast, particularly the supercomputing piece and swarm learning. So what were some of the things that you took away from this, Miriam? Yeah, he really gave us a lot to think about and a broader definition of responsible AI. I really appreciated his global perspective. I really appreciated how he talked about working in other countries across the globe to have their centers of excellence and their supercompute 
because they benefit as a company, because we benefit overall for having better AI learning from local populations, investing in populations across the world so that we have their vantage point, we have their learning, and how that really is an advantage that, that they can benefit from and, and that we all benefit from. So uh, I really appreciated hearing about where they're putting their investment and, and why. I really appreciated hearing about their investment in AI native approaches. I think uh, that's something you don't hear about as much, as well as their broad perspective on responsible AI, thinking not only about auditability and transparency and those terms that we often hear about, but their commitment to open source. I think that was a really interesting point, both because then more people have access, it democratizes who has access. The more people who have access to creating the AI, the closer it is to home, the more people who have a voice in it, the better, stronger it is, as well as creating that institutionalized standard across the globe, because more people will be using similar data points, similar sources as their basis for their construction. So I think those were some really interesting points. How about you? What were some of the key takeaways? Well, I thought, especially, you know, with this podcast, we don't often talk perhaps enough about data. And so here Justin say, well, his, his magic wand solution would be really thinking through that data and being able to share data that we can have algorithms work on without actually sharing the data. That swarm learning approach was just so very important. Important. And I think it's something that we we probably miss when we're thinking about responsible AI, but it starts with responsible data. And democratizing AI really starts with making sure that we can use data, but use data fairly and responsibly as well. So I was very, I guess, energized by the fact that he, he took that approach and that Hewlett-Packard Enterprise were also taking that approach. And as you say, it was different from the things around responsible AI that we hear. Not that those are not valid, but this was just added another dimension as far as I was concerned. Yeah. And also how he's thinking about how AI can benefit the greater good. I think that you know, we always are walking that fine line of understanding the risks and the harms that AI can create if we're not mindful, intentional, and responsible in our use of data, of model deployment, and so forth. But really how some of the biggest challenges that affect us globally and affect us personally can be benefited from responsible AI use, like the examples that you both discussed with the wildfires, early detection, saving people's homes, their families, the trauma, the economic harms of having to reestablish yourself in addition to just the, the basic fear of having that trauma uh, in your family, that financial devastation, as well as the personal devastation of losing so much around you, as well as the physical risk. So, you know, that one example has such a tremendous impact on so many people if we're able to reduce the wildfire surprises in the way that I know you're working diligently on. And really think that's an important example and mindset as to what our goals should be with AI. Yeah, absolutely. And not just the personal cost to people, but also the cost to the environment. You know, 1.76 billion tons of carbon was emitted from forest fires in 2021. And the world really 
can't cope with that continuing to happen. Yeah. Well, thank you for the work that you're doing. And I'm so glad to hear about some of the ways you're partnering with Justin and HPE and, and hearing some of how he defines responsible AI and how he's working to make sure that happens. Yeah, thank you. Subscribe to or download our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. We always welcome your feedback. And if you like the podcast, please rate us or give us a review. To learn more or get involved, visit us at www.equalai.org and www.weforum.org. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want more unique content, please head over to Radio Davos from the World Economic Forum. And a special thanks to NP Agency, without whom this podcast would not be possible.